podcast that help them to just um and then yeah so we can edit it that's the good news if you say anything you're like let's edit it (laughs) amazing welcome to the exponent 2 podcast um my name is carol ann i'm here tonight with ramona who is very sickly and being forced to take a lot of rest get well soon (laughs) sleep uh and i'm also here with heather Hello, hello, calling in from Provo, Utah. I'm really excited about tonight with our special guest. Sarah, Bybee Fist. Sarah, introduce yourself. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. The minute I saw there was a podcast, I was like, Heather, when, 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 when? Mm -hmm. So it is uh, a pleasure to be here. I am a master certified life coach and instructor, and I've coached people on a lot of things, but finally found like the one conversation I could have over and over and over and over and over again, which is how to help women eliminate people pleasing and perfectionism and codependency from their relationships, because I think we're all just pretty much sick of it. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I'm so excited. And um, before we get started, I have to ask, because of course my inclination is that Yes, all women suffer from that, but I feel like being raised LDS is like extra gasoline on that. Or is that, Um, yes, is that true or not true? Very true because there's, there's an emphasis on doing a certain number of things right in a public way that show or demonstrate faithfulness or um, covenant keeping or worthiness. And we actually think it's a good idea to like make you come into an office and sit you down and ask you questions Mm. that delve into the details of how you perform the things that add up to, you know, your perception of worthiness, your, your fitfulness for callings and opportunities to serve your ability to enter the temple like a literal piece of paper that allows you to participate in um in in covenants and in in everything from the baptism of your children to the to marriage you know and so yeah there's there's a lot of really interesting overlap between being raised LDS and and how much freedom we feel like we have to really make our own choices and pave our own way. Okay. So start from the beginning. How are people pleasers created? Okay. Here's the good news. And I love to start here because I think as women, we tend to shame. There's, there's, there's two kind of common reactions. Like number one, I'm a people pleaser and I'm ashamed because I don't have the wherewithal or the the personal strength to like stand up for myself or I'm a people pleaser and I'm proud of that because it means I'm a good wife, I'm a good mom, I'm a good, you know, fill in the blank. But here's the truth. Everyone starts out being trained to be a people pleaser because everybody comes into this life a baby, utterly incapable of taking care of itself and we have to have big people to care for us and the only thing a baby can do is cry. And so before there is even the the knowledge that I am a separate person from, let's just say my mom, I know that I cry and something happens. 
I cry and she comes and she changes me. I cry and my dad comes and feeds me. I cry, somebody changes my diaper. I cry, somebody puts me to sleep. So there's this, the very earliest connection is I do something and there is some kind of reaction. And so infant grows and then starts being aware, oh, I can watch these big people. And I see that sometimes their face looks like this and other times their face looks like this. And if anyone has ever interacted with a baby and baby smiles, what do all the big people do? Oh my God. We get so excited. We get so excited and baby learns, oh, they like that. Mm -hmm. And then baby smiles bigger and then parents smile bigger. And there's this really beautiful reinforcement loop of these are the behaviors that we like. But even if the baby starts crying, our impulse is to try to manipulate the baby into being happy and smiling. Yes. And so I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience, but, but where, you know, you're trying to cheer your kid up and they're like crying, but also kind of this warped smile, like I'll be happy for you, I guess. Yes. Yes. Heather, you nailed it. You nailed it because as baby's awareness grows, it's like, oh, there are things that they like and there are things that they don't like. Mm -hmm. I remember my, uh, one of my children, probably my daughter, like slapping me with her, you know, they're figuring out, I have these hands, they do things. And I grabbed her hand and I said, no. And my eyebrows drew down and my voice got really low and I physically moved her away from me. I separated her from me. And I was sending her the message. No, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And she started to cry, right? So message received. And so I am not saying that it's good or bad. I'm just saying this is how it happens. And so baby grows and starts collecting all of this information about here's what the big people that I know I depend on like, and here's what they don't like. Here's what gets me rewarded with snuggles and kisses and tickles and being fed and here's what gets me punished, separated, or the angry eyes, or the drop in the the the, the vocal range that, that doesn't feel good. And then they're just become more big people. There's teachers, right? There's religious leaders, there's friends, there's more and more sources of input. This is what is good. This is what gets me rewarded. This is bad. This is what gets me punished. And so every single child is programmed to people, please. That that's just the way it is. And you and I are all here because we were very good people pleasers. We convinced the big (laughs) people that we deserved to be taken care of. And so I like to start the conversation there because it is not bad or wrong. The problem is not that we people please. In fact, it's essential. It's a, it's a healthy part of human relationships that we understand how to please each other. The problem is that we don't know how to stop Yeah, when it gets in the way of us taking care of ourselves. I, I feel that doing in my things spirit. That we want. Go ahead, Ramona. Yeah. Spirit. I feel like um, growing up, um, there's a culture in Barbados where, you know, when babies cry, People say, oh, don't let the baby cry. It's going to break their heart. Yeah. Um, and I I mean, I, I don't agree with it because sometimes you let the baby cry it out and stuff like that. But um, I 
know from my own personal experiences when I was growing up I grew up as an only child and I wanted the adults to like me I wanted to seem like if I was this mature person at a young age um and I got a lot of validation by adults saying oh Ramona's doing such a good job yes person she's so put together for her age but as time goes on I realized too is that like you were saying, like a lot of times you don't know how to get off of that cycle. Sometimes um, I feel like now as a member, it's kind of gone the other way where I um, I feel like if I'm in a continual loop where it's like people please it becomes the priority and I am like stuck in the middle trying to get off of this first wheel and it's not happening for me. So. That- that, that is essentially what happens. And you kind of touched on, there's a second component that happens to all children. And it happens at the hands of people who love them. And it is this, a child is sitting at the table and doesn't want to eat their dinner anymore. And a loving parent says, finish your food. Mm. And the child says, but I'm full. And mom says, I don't care. There's just a few more bites there. Eat it. You're at school. And a teacher says, Sarah, apologize to Ramona. And I'm crying and I haven't calmed down yet, but I have to swallow my own fears and I have to obey an outside authority figure. Ramona, I'm sorry, right? Whether I mean it or not, you're at a family reunion and you don't want to go give the creepy uncle a hug or a kiss. And dad, a well-meaning dad says, listen, just go give him a hug and kiss. I don't care. He's your uncle. You'll be fine. And so the second component that happens is that In order to be taken care of, we default to letting outside authority figures call the shots. And we learn how I feel doesn't matter. Hmm. I have to do what the big people tell me to do. And sometimes it doesn't feel good and that doesn't matter. And so after years of doing that, we just learn to look outside of us for what people want us to do. And we learn to feel safe obeying them. Yeah. Do you think that most of us do this on a totally unconscious level? Yes. It's totally unconscious because we just, we've been doing it for so long. It just becomes part of the fabric, right? It's, it, it becomes the background because how many of us, and again, I love my mom and dad. They did the very best they could. I am sure of it, but they never asked me, Sarah, how are you feeling about this? What does your intuition or what does the spirit tell you what does your heart what does your body say about this we'll have to get into the body at some point in this conversation we have to get in the body right now I want you to tell us what are some of the signs how do I know if I'm a people pleaser what am I looking for for a long time it just feels good it feels like people like me I am doing what's expected of me I'm meeting people's expectations I get rewarded I'm like Ramona was saying, Ramona, you're so, you're, you're so mature for your age and it feels really, really good. And that is essential. At a certain point, it stops feeling good. We notice there's tension. Well, I don't want to do that. Or we notice that my needs and wants are bumping up against other people's needs and wants. And I seem to always lose. We notice that we default to what other people want for us. We notice that we do a lot of worrying about what other people will think of us, and we don't feel able 
to make our own decisions because of what other people will think or do. Sometimes we yeah. find we're, our, our lives are really busy with a bunch of things that we don't really want for ourselves, but we feel like we just are obligated to do. Yeah, yeah, I I really feel that on a on a conscious level. I feel like even as a convert, putting a lot, sorry, putting the other spin on it, being a convert to the church, being um a person of color, I feel like sometimes a lot of the experiences that I've had have been because of wanting to be seen as that faithful person. Yes, um, yes. and it was only when I was at Utah last year that I realized that. As I, I use the Ferris wheel analogy or the merry-go-round analogy all the time because um, like we, like I realized so much of my experiences in the last couple of years were because I was allowing people to tell me what I was, to tell me who I should be. If I wasn't saying something a particular way, oh, you know, people had that ability to navigate who I was as a person. And when I stopped saying yes to everything I realize people really don't like you when you say no Mm -hmm. and people don't like you when you have to set a boundary and say okay this Mm -hmm. is enough these are my needs and my needs have to come first and when you say no you automatically become the villain yeah it's uh, it's so true and and I think within the church it gets tricky because what we are taught is that it's God who wants us to be the Relief yes. Society president. It's God who wants us to come and clean the church on Sunday morning or Saturday morning. It's, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a weightiness to how we learn to say yes, because it's not the bishop asking, it's God who's asking. And, and, and I think that can be really tricky for us to really navigate because telling God, no, just feels kind of tricky. Yeah. So it's not people pleasing. It's God pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also going back to the line you said about the, like, you're realizing your parents ever asked you, like, how do, what do you feel about it? What do you think about it? Um, or even like, I'm thinking about making decisions. I felt like when yeah. I was in the deep throes of people pleasing, just, I felt like, what is the, what's the best choice and just feeling yes. agonizing on what's the best choice and that it ha- it must be this like grand thing or like, like, and never this, like, trust myself. Mm-hmm. as I'm making a choice but like am, am I seeking out my church leaders my friends my parents yeah. like who what is the best choice rather than like I understand inputs but the the fear that there is or the, the fear and assumption there is a better choice or best choice not even better best choice yeah yeah there's a right way to live and be happy I mean oh my gosh we yep. we don't come by this <laughs> yep. accidentally right choose the right way and you'll be safe choose the right thing to do and you'll be protected. And I'm not even saying that all of that is bad. I am saying we are not given a mechanism to question it and to still feel safe if we want to choose something else. We're not told, you know what, Heavenly Father is going to be fine with if you choose to accept the Relief Society president calling or not. He's actually good with it. Sister Fisk, what do you want? Mm. How different would it be? I want you to help me understand the connection between people pleasing and perfectionism and codependency. Perfectionism is a flavor of people pleasing. Okay. It is 
the idea that if I can just choose the right, correct, perfect, best thing, everybody will like me. I will be safe. I will have approval. I will have belonging and community. And this is where it gets really interesting because belonging, friendship, love, connection, community, those are not optional things for us as humans. We have to have them. And so often what we end up doing is trading our choices, trading our agency for belonging. Mm. And again, I'm not even saying that that's always bad or wrong. I'm saying, let's have a discussion about why you are making that trade. Do you like your reasons for making that trade? And what are the results of that trade in your life? Because we have to have it. It's not optional. And so whether we're a, a baby who needs the big people to take care of us, or we're adults who need to have acceptance within a community, need to have friendship and connection and belonging, that's not optional. Yeah, I I really feel like sometimes our conversations on the podcast overlap. And I remember when Lindsay Pace came on and we were talking about the journey to marriage and single life and all that stuff. I remember um bringing up this concept with her I remember um my friend group and in one year five of my girlfriends got married and navigating the path from single single friends to married friends and I remember um this is when my anxiety was super bad being kind of corralled into wanting to be married right now meanwhile i am expressing my need i am not in the emotional or mental space to be in a relationship right now i need time and i'm verbalizing this to them i need time to be fix my mental health where i'm in a place where i can be um you know healthy all around healthy and over time the people pleasing nature came out where it's like oh, you know, maybe you're just being a little bit facetious. You could just go along with what they're saying. You know, you could go talk to people. You could talk to guys. And then I found myself, um, and it's only when I got to Utah because Utah put a stoplight in front of me that I've never had in my life before. Where I was like, why am I doing all this stuff to make you guys feel comfortable? I am telling you where my limits are, but nobody's listening and acknowledging. So if I have to step outside and be the bad person because I'm not doing what somebody else wants me to do, because I'm not doing something that somebody thinks is the righteous thing for me to do, why am I so concerned with what they think of me? Which and I guess it's a lot like the codependency aspect, which I was yeah. looking for. Yeah. So you would share that perfectionism is a flavor of people pleasing. Where does codependency come in? Because I'm like, wait. I've read a lot of the codependency books. I'm like, tell me more. I want to know. Yeah. Codependency is the idea that I'm only okay if you're okay. Mm. My safety is is connected to what you think of me. My, uh, my sense of myself is connected to what you think of me. I don't have an independent sense of self, a sovereign sense of myself as my own being, I'm dependent on you and you're dependent on me in terms of safety, connection, love, and belonging. 
And you can damage my safety. You can damage my belonging based on what you think of me. I want to add that I have learned as a therapist that people are not only codependent with people, but people are codependent on institutions. For sure. And people can be very codependent on the church and have a really hard time figuring out where the church ends and they start yeah. and, and finding sort of their own individual spirituality, even, I mean, it, it, it not just hinders their growth, but it, it hinders the spiritual development because they're, they're just kind of, they're not owning it. it, it like if, if you can't say no to someone, you can't say yes to someone. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always find it odd because everybody knows I've been Methodist longer than I've been a member of the church. Um, and I always find it funny how around general conference, the leader says something, everybody does it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Are you doing it just because somebody tells you to do it so you will be portrayed as a good member? The image maintenance, yeah. The image maintenance. And I remember being in my institute class before I graduated institute, um, just having a discussion with some classmates. And I was like, when an apostle or a leader asks you to do something, do you automatically do it because they're a, a leader of the church? They were like, yeah, I do it. I said, I don't do it. You could have sworn that I murdered their firstborn child. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so why am I doing it? Am I just doing it to do it? Or am I doing it because I find purpose in it? But a lot of people don't know where that separation is. And I'm like, most of the times I walk around, I'm like, is this your personality or is this the personality that somebody's telling you to have? Because mm-hmm. um, a mindfulness thing I've learned about is the like awareness and compassion. So I feel like we've been spending some time with the awareness side of it. Like what's, where's the compassion side? Like, what would it, like, what are steps of like, you've identified the problem, you're a people pleaser, like what are some steps to reassert boundaries or or how do you counsel people, Sarah? The first thing to have compassion for is that we are all, like being programmed to be a people pleaser is not an option. Mm -hmm. There are, if you are socialized as a woman, you have, you know, all of the gender and patriarchy issues. And then if you have uh, religious training, you know, we're talking about the LDS community here. A lot of those patriarchal issues now, God wants you to be the one, you know, to stay home with children. And so to just to have compassion that this isn't optional and men kind of have some outs, right. That, that women don't have. And I, I really hope that understanding that is an act of compassion. Like I didn't choose this. I am not choosing it on purpose, but I can notice it and then I can do something about it. And the first step in doing something about it is to understand in my body, what does it feel like when I am either about to people please or I have people pleased? Because up here in our brain, We can talk ourselves into anything. The bishop wants me to, the home teachers want me to, whatever. So consent or permission is only felt in the body. The yes or the no that is only mine, that only I can interpret and understand is the first thing. So 
if you're listening, think back to the last time when you said yes to something that you really didn't want to. And can you remember what your body felt like? Were you anxious? Was there tension? Did you feel nauseous in your gut or a knot in your gut? That is your body saying, I don't want to do this. This is a no for me. Uh Uh-uh. I don't want to. And that's the first thing to start paying attention to. And I have the people that I work with just notice that. We don't even have to change our behavior first. Because here is the truth. It is uncomfortable to people, please, right? We get ourselves in callings and obligations that we don't really want to be doing. We end up worrying about what people think of us. That's a type of discomfort. Mm. It is also uncomfortable to not people, please. We have to learn how to tolerate feeling guilty, feeling like we've let people down, experiencing other people's disappointment in us. And so once we can sense like this is what my body, this is my body's yes, and this is my body's no, then I need to learn how do I lift these emotional muscles to tolerate the discomfort of not people pleasing. Hey, I'm going to tell you something that back in college, I took a, um, a meditation biofeedback class and one of our assignments was to go to a red light and when it turns green, don't go and you can't go until someone honks at you and it trains you to sit with discomfort. It trains you to sit with other people's lack of approval. I was terrible. I'd always duck my head down and I'd pretend to fiddle with the radio so that the person behind (laughs) me wouldn't judge me so that they'd just be like, give me the nice little tap, beep, beep, the, hey there, not the Uh jerk. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you, like that is a really, and I've given that exercise to clients before. I'm like, you need to get comfortable in making other people not happy. Well, here's the thing. We are already not happy when we're stuck in people pleasing. We're just so used to tolerating it that it's just not a big deal anymore. We're so used to feeling guilty and so used to feeling resentment and anxiety that we just live with it. And so it really is just learning to tolerate a different kind of discomfort, but it, it's a different skill especially because other people are involved. Yeah, maybe I need to go sit at, across a, a stoplight and just live in the discomfort. Um, because like a few, before I went on sick leave, I'm on sick leave from work, guys. Um, so a couple of days ago, I remember something happened at work and I wasn't able to do something. And all of a sudden it triggered my anxiety, like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Do you feel safe? Are you telling this person? No, it was outside of my capabilities to do it. But for some reason, I know in my mind that I can't do this. I can't tell them yes, because that would be a lie. That would be me trying to please them. But at the same time, if you have something like anxiety, where it kind of tricks you into that negative thought process, I I was like, oh my gosh, am I a bad person? Am I about to lose my job? It 
it can be really, really tricky to deal with the discomfort if you're not equipped to deal with it. Right. I'm also thinking about time, like different eras of my life where I would like say yes to everything and like feel really resentful. And then I would say yes. And then no, so I could get the high of saying yes. And then the pretend self-care of like, oh, sorry, no, this isn't going to work out. And it took me a long time to just say no up front because you have to like the, the discomfort. There's a Brene Brown story where she says like, do you want to choose resentment or discomfort? And gives the example of like her, her teacher's daughter, sorry, daughter's teacher asked her to like bake brownies. She could choose resentment and say, sure, knowing she didn't really want to. And she's making the brownies saying, shut up kids. I'm making these brownies for you and for your class. Or could she choose discomfort and say to the teacher, sorry, no. And the discomfort is the not people pleasing. Like she doesn't name it as people pleasing, but just that discomfort or resentment. And that's been a helpful metric for me. Um, Cause it's, yeah, I feel like resentment is seeped into the, all the invisible labor that Mormon women do to make wars run. Yeah. I wish I could go back to that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. One of the things that I find most helpful in situations like that is to have a phrase that is memorized that just buys you some time. I call it the pause because in a moment of being asked, we have so many habitual answers. Sure, I'm happy to do that. No, 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 I'm fine, fine, fine. No, no, that's great. No, I have no problem, no problem. You have to pause to let yourself Come back to yourself. And the pause, it can be like, I'd love to think about that and get back to you. Or I need to think that through. Can I call you tomorrow? Because in the moment, we so often just revert to our patterns that we actually need a break from the situation. Because like Ramona was saying, sometimes our nervous systems are up and we're worried about, you know, someone's approval. We're worried about someone's disappointment. And so I have all my clients just pick a phrase and memorize it, keep it in their back pocket, and they never say yes in the moment. They never agree in the moment. They always, no matter if they want to say yes and they know it's a fine choice for them, to give themselves a break so that they can really have time to think it through. Do I like my reasons for saying yes? What is this actually going to cost me to bake the brownies in terms of time, energy, and effort? Is that where I want this time, energy, and effort to go through? And so then it's a real yes. And if it's a no, it's a no that you can really get behind because you have taken the time to think it through. Yeah, I I wish I could go back to that point where right after I got diagnosed with anxiety and obviously with the pandemic and everything going on and then I was like somebody all these invisible labors that we were talking about in the church and I realized I was overextending and I remember walking around and everybody was no no I don't want to do that no I don't have time no I don't have the, the skill set to do this and people would look at me at church especially like oh my god what is she saying are you telling the lord no and i was like yes i'm telling the lord no the lord knows my skill set he knows my abilities i can't do it so don't guilt me for saying no and now i find myself creeping back into that yes yes maybe kind of thing What other advice would you give to a chronic people pleaser who recognizes they're people pleasing and are miserable? The first thing I would say is the first thing to eliminate is any criticism or blame or judgment Mm -hmm. that you have for yourself. Because whenever we have a behavior that is uncomfortable, so let's say that I do say yes to baking the brownies. 
now I'm feeling resentment and I'm frustrated that I'm going to have to, you know, donate this time. If I judge and shame and blame and criticize myself on top of that, now I'm just having an experience that is doubly uncomfortable. So if I can just set that aside and not make myself bad or wrong, then I can actually look at what are my reasons for saying yes. I wanted the PTA president to think that I'm a great mom. Okay. Is that worth it? You can get a lot more um, granular and logical about what is my thinking here so that I don't repeat this. Then you have to try out your no. You have to try out your no thank you. You have to try it out in, in what I like to call a low stakes situation. All of us have lower stakes situations like saying no to the you know PTA request to do brownies or higher stakes, which might be saying no to my mother-in-law when she has a request. So start with lower stakes and build the muscle of tolerating the discomfort first and then work up to higher stakes situations. Love that. Thank you. So one of my friends was a, um, a chronic pleaser and a chronic volunteer. And so I told her that she, we were creating a volunteers anonymous and that I was her sponsor and that, and that when anyone asked her to do anything, she could not say yes right away. She had to check with me. Yes. And so for a while she did, and she'd be like, okay, like, you know, they want this or that. And I'm like, okay, let's think this through. Let's think through what the cost is going to be. And, and by the end of some of them, she's like, yeah, I want to do it. I'm like, great. And, but others, she was like, yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that. And and I think that it was good for her to have me as an excuse. Like, oh, I've, I've you know, I've got to check with with someone, you know, whatever yeah. excuse you use. But I think as women, we can really support each other and be it's, sponsors. It's it. That's, that's brilliant. I, I, I love that idea. And just to get clear on the fact that I am going to feel uncomfortable as I do this, we are biologically programmed to think that an uncomfortable emotion means something has gone wrong. Yeah. We're not I'm safe. Doing, we're not safe. But to be able to realize like, okay, well, here's an example. You know, last year I was hosting Thanksgiving. My brother um, is getting a divorce from his wife and she was quite unkind to me in a number of situations. And he wanted to invite her to my house for dinner. And when I told him like, listen, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. He said, Sarah, I think you've taken this stop people pleasing thing too far. ha <laughs> ha. Right. So he's saying to me, this brother that I love, right. And he's, he's just, you know, wanting what he wants, get back to pleasing. And so I had to stop being like, oh, this is the, this is the price. This is the discomfort of having the Thanksgiving that I want to have in my home. It's tolerating his disappointment in me, his comments. And once we can get clear on that, it's a lot easier because it's not just saying no, it's letting other people be wrong about us. It's letting other people think things about us that aren't true or don't match with our experience. It's letting people at church, you know, question our, our worthiness or our dedication to the gospel. It's letting our, you know, qualifications or dedication to our family be questioned sometimes when we stop 
overworking, overperforming, overfunctioning in favor of doing less. How do we do this with our families? Because it seems to me like it would, like it is harder. It's, it's harder to say no to children, to spouses, to parents. I think we have to tell the truth. And the truth is, I am afraid that if I stop doing this, you might not love me as much, or you might think differently of me. I am afraid that this will damage our relationship. And the experience that I'm having is full of anxiety and worry, and I'm overspending, I'm overperforming, like I'm doing a lot of things that, so I'm being hurt on this side over here. And I'm afraid that if I stop, it will hurt the relationship that I have with you. Where can we have a discussion about this where you can understand that I still love you, that the fact that I am no longer going to be doing these things for you has nothing to do with that love? And can we find some other ways to connect, to reassure each other, and to please each other in ways that don't cost me as much? Can you share some examples of this? Like, like yes. tell me, show me, tell me a few, a couple different examples of what this looks like. Yes. I have a great example. So we have a hot tub and my husband and I, when it's cold in Arizona, which let's get real has just happened recently in, you know, end of October here. And by we cold, you mean 60. And by cold, I mean 60. <laughs> you got it. You got it. But my husband and I get in every night and, you know, I spend all day talking to people. He spends most of the day behind a computer. And so we'd get in the hot tub and he would want to delve into some topic. And I didn't want to. I My brain was tired. I wanted to be with him, but I didn't want to talk a lot. And I found myself just nodding. Uh-huh. 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 And feeling a lot of resentment because I was performing for him. I was pretending to be in a conversation that I really wasn't in. And so I remember the night I said, honey, I need to tell you something. I don't want to talk when we get in the hot tub as much. And he was like, at all? I'm like, well, I'm fine talking. He wants to have talks about like, how many planets do you think there might be out there with human life? What about black holes? Have you ever wondered where black, I'm like, I, I actually have never wondered where black holes go. And his interest in topics is, I, I love that about him. And it costs me too much, too much brain space and too much energy. And so the conversation we had was, how can we have something that honors my limitations and honors you? How can both of us be part of benefiting from this interaction because right now I'm pretending I'm performing for you and it doesn't feel good. And so we found a way I am much better to talk in the morning. So we go on a walk in the morning when I'm fresh, when I haven't spent all day talking and I have some bandwidth for black holes. What you know, what little bandwidth I want, I want to give that topic anyway, but where both of us can show up and be honored and feel fulfilled by it. Thank you. I love that. That's, that's because I think sometimes we think that to not be a people pleaser is to just say, no, 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 no. And, yeah. and it's, it's not that it's, it's being more thoughtful. It's being more, like you say, 
careful about where you're spending your energy and saving the yeses for the people and things that that really matter. And that's a great example of of compromise where it wasn't just, you know, so I just told him no, just sit sit in the sit in the water and stew. This is our black hole. this is you're sitting in our black hole mister Mm -hmm. and you know what that's the when I talk to women about you know not people pleasing anymore that is their fear that I'm just going to turn into this selfish Mm -hmm. awful person who doesn't give a rat's rear end about anybody but myself and that is a conditioned response right women are taught that the worst thing we can be is selfish. selfish. Yes. <laughs> Worst thing we can be is selfish. Worse. And I said, what if, so it's not either I give and perform and pretend or I'm selfish. There's all this space in the middle. And what it looks like is my needs matter just as much as yours. Yeah. Right. Sometimes yeah. I choose me. me. The cost of you. Yes. Yes. It's both of us. And sometimes I choose me and sometimes I choose you for reasons that I like. I choose my kids all the time yeah. for reasons that I like. And sometimes I have found that I can make a hard choice that makes me uncomfortable if I remind myself I need to model self-care and boundaries for my children, Mm -hmm. that I couldn't make the decision just for myself. But when I, I think I don't want them to think that your job as a mom is to be a doormat. And so I need to say, you know what, I'm going away this weekend because I need it and it's okay. And then I think to myself, I hope they go away. I hope they give themselves, I hope this gives them permission. Can we talk about, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I think that's a beautiful part of human relationships that sometimes as mothers, we are willing to do things for our children that we aren't necessarily willing to do for ourselves. I ask my clients this all the time. Would you want your child to be experiencing what you are experiencing? And so often the answer is no. And that gives them the motivation. And I think that's fantastic. And I want to talk about like worth and productivity, because I feel like that is so ingrained at American, the Protestant work ethic at Mormonism ramps it up even more because like, yeah. The more you do, the more productive you are, that, that means you're better. So how can you, yeah. What are ways we can deescalate that worth and productivity? It's so interesting, Caroline, because every time you say something, a hymn comes to mind, put your ah. shoulder to the wheel, push along, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it really is. And, and I like to always say, I don't think that's bad. I only think it's, it's not helpful when you can't opt out of putting your shoulder to the wheel and pushing along for reasons that, you like. And so the first thing that I like to think about when we're kind of deconnecting, like my worthiness and what I do is to think about a baby. A baby doesn't do anything except poop and cry. And yet we would all agree that that baby is infinitely worthy, infinitely lovable, infinitely valuable. And if we can begin to remember that message and take it on for ourselves, like I am, I am valuable no matter what I do. My value, my worthiness, my lovability doesn't ever change because we would say the same thing about our aging grannies and grandmothers who, who aren't as capable as they once were. And so to remember kind of the the beginning and the end of life, 
we would never say that the people in those two age situations are less valuable. And so I think it's just a matter of remembering that and remembering to remind ourselves. Now, we still have to tolerate the discomfort that comes from not over-functioning anymore. And so to learn how to feel uncomfortable anyway, to not over-function and to just let that discomfort be there, you'll get better at it. I'm sure Heather is much better at sitting at green lights now than she was right when she she started because it's a skill. The more we can allow ourselves to sit with discomfort and remind ourselves that nothing has gone wrong, the better we get at it. And this is, I think, particularly tricky for, it can be for younger people because, and we've talked about this before, is that like when I was raised, like I was raised in the seventies and eighties, like nobody cared about your feelings. Nobody cared. Hmm. Like nobody cared if we were safe. It was like, you know, here's a glass pop bottle with a sharp razor, like <laughs> lid on it, you know, and, and try to open it with your tooth or hit it on a rock. Like we hmm. just did all like seatbelts, like we're a joke. And, and so we then grow up and we're like, oh my gosh, stuff was so unsafe. And so then we want things to be so much safer for our children. But I think sometimes we overcorrect because I know my children often think if something makes them uncomfortable, it means it's not safe. And so they're like, they kind of want a trigger warning on everything. And I'm like, sorry, like life is a trigger warning. Like just because learning to drive, just because making a left-hand turn makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean it's unsafe. Yeah. And then it's yeah. really hard as a me as for me as a parent to know when to honor like that discomfort that you were saying, like sit with it and get to know it. And cause my kids might be like, well, going to school makes me uncomfortable. You know, so then you're like, okay, yeah. just say no. Don't please, don't please those teachers. Mm-hmm. Don't please yeah. the state. <laughs> like yeah. how do you how do you deal with some of the stuff that you have to make people do? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I still have teenagers at home and it's a, it's, it's a thing. The best answer that I have, right? I'm 50 years old. I don't know anything, but I do know a lot. I've raised three adult children who, you know, they, they seem to be doing fine is that it is a deeply internal work to know my reasons And I have to develop the trust and the conversation with myself. Hey, what's going on here? I'm noticing some anxiety. What's that about? Are you okay? Can we stop for just a second? And I love to, you know, put my hand on my chest or or squeeze my, my own wrist as a way of just like, oh, whoa, whoa, hey, I'm listening. I'm here. I'm paying attention. And if I can have those kinds of conversations with myself and deeply trust myself that I don't know all the reasons why this might make me feel uncomfortable. I think my best course of action is to go ahead and do it. Or my best course of action is to not do it. And I'm just, I just know that I'm going to take care of myself either way. Then I can teach my child, listen, you are trustworthy, but we also have to, we have to have a conversation between the brain and the cognitive reasons and the body. They both have to inform our situations. So you don't feel safe going to school. Okay. That's how your body feels. Okay. I honor that. 
and fine that's that's what we that's what we want to work with but let's go up into the brain what are some of the reasons why it might be important to go to school what are some of the laws that we have in our country about going to school what happens when we break those laws and it has to be a conversation between both and i think when we overemphasize just what the brain says we can get into some trouble. And when we overemphasize just how your body feels, that's not the the source of all truth and reality either. It has to be both. And then we have to have some trust that there's a process developing, that there is a conversation developing, and sometimes we're gonna get it wrong. And the best we can do is just to treat ourselves with a lot of generosity and grace when we do, and try to get it closer to right the next time. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I have one. I have one last question. Um, I'm thinking of Carol Ann, who's got two little girls, and I had three little girls at one point. What advice would you give mothers to help? Not derail people pleasing. But yeah. to just curb it a little earlier, I feel like all of us start too late. Yes. Wow. The first thing I just really want to emphasize is that pleasing each other is a part of healthy relationships. I remember explaining to my kids, like, listen, you and I are both humans. I'm a person too. I'm your mom, but I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Do you like it when I do the things that you asked me to do. I like it when you do the things I asked you to do. It helps our house. It helps things run smoothly. I want to know what's important to you. And I want to be able to respond to that. And I would love some of the same things from you. So to understand that people pleasing has a place when we know our reasons and we like them for doing the thing. So in that context, if I could start with my babies again, I would say to them, how does your body feel right now? What emotion are you feeling right now? Tell me what it feels like. And I would try to guide them through knowing how their body feels when they're scared, how their body feels when they're anxious, how their body feels when they're happy, because we're just cut off from our body so young to keep that connection would be such a beautiful practice. And then what do you think we should do? Why do you think we should do it? Letting them be involved in the choices about them. I had five kids, you know, um, very close together. I say this with a lot of grace too, because sometimes there's a lot of plates spinning at the same time, but so easy or so often it was just the easiest thing for me to do, to be the taskmaster and to be the one, you know, top down, just telling them what to do. I would have asked them and I would have trusted them a little bit more to make some of their own decisions earlier. I would have been in therapy myself or had a coach right for myself as a way of helping me, because I think a lot of my reactions just came from my own overwhelm with all of the things that I were doing. But if I'm going to be talking with them about how their body feels, telling them that it's, you can trust that feeling and then helping them to have the conversation between their brain and their body, knowing and liking their reasons. 
and then helping them to navigate some of those decisions that might be hard. I think that that would be where I would start. Thank you. That's really empowering. Thank you. And that, yeah, a, a term I learned from my daughter's preschool teachers, like emotional co-regulation. So just like, as you're staying calm, like you're able to yes. calm your child more. So if they're crying, you're like, stop crying. Like it's easy to just like escalate each other. And so just, how are mm -hmm. you yeah. together? And um... yeah, when I, I think more often than not, I tried to talk my children out of their uncomfortable emotions. Mm -hmm. I tried to distract them. Hey, let's go get a treat. Or Hey, do you want to turn on a show? Oh, you're okay. You're okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. If you and chance to meet a frown, <laughs> do not let it stay. Quickly yes. turn it upside down and smile that frown away. Yeah. I mean, we, we come by it honestly, right? And to just, Carol Ann, to your point, just say, yeah, you're sad right now. This makes a lot of sense that you're sad. I get sad too. Come here. I can hold you. We can calm down together. And then we can decide what we want to do to show them that there's, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, and you can handle it. You can handle it. And this emotion will pass. And then we'll have a better idea of what we want to do next. This has been so helpful. Thank you so much, Sarah. You are so welcome. It is, as I said in the beginning, my favorite conversation. I could have it endlessly and I do. This is what I, you know, work with with myself and, and clients. And I just so appreciate the chance to be here with you tonight and have it. Thank you. How can people find out more about you, Sarah? Best thing to do is to find me on social media, Facebook, Sarah Fisk Coach or Instagram, Sarah Fisk Coaching. I'm actually going to gear up to do a, a special edition of my stop people pleasing program just to help get us people pleasers through the holidays, Ooh. because that's when it see that we just, oh my gosh. There's, so, there's an obstacle course for a lot of us navigating other people's expectations and traditions and dinners and, and parties and events. Yes. And so yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a fun time to really get not only more awareness of how you people please and why, but some things that you can do to make the holidays um, a little easier because I find that most of the time January comes around and I'm kind of relieved that they're over. Uh -huh. I'm kind of relieved mm -hmm. everybody's going back mm -hmm. to school and I'd love to help people just have a more enjoyable time. In the present. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. We are the Exponent 2 podcast. Exponent 2 is also a magazine, a blog, a retreat. Find us online at Exponent 2. That's exponentii.org. We're also a 501c3. So please contribute to the revolution. We'd love to help pay for uh, the website and the other things that it takes to run things. Um, again, thank you, Sarah, by B. Fisk, our people-pleasing, anti-people-pleasing. What's uh, what's a better tagline? I, I don't feel like it's anti-people-pleasing. Stop people-pleasing coach. Stop people-pleasing coach. Thank you, thank you. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs>